Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one where we're going to talk about overcoming what I call the Achilles heel of every emerging group practice. That's right. It can be the silent killer and the things that people don't plan for, and it can absolutely grind your growth strategy to a halt. So get your pad and pen ready. You know it'll be another note-taking episode. And on my behalf, please brew another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. That's right. I'm still without my favorite coffee maker, and we're about two to three weeks in. It's DEFCON 5 at the Desports household. Bundle up, buckle up, get ready. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. I am without my favorite cup of coffee. It's rough around here. The work's not getting done. I can't get out of bed in the morning. I can't think clearly. I've got massive headaches. And I'm finding myself driving by Starbucks that aren't on the way home, if you know what I'm saying. That's right. It's tough around here. Nonetheless, we're grinding out podcasts. We're grinding out days with clients in our office and on the road. We're getting some work done, maybe just a little bit slower than uh, as per usual. Today, I want to talk about things that can um, potentially slow down your growth strategy as you look into 2024, and we are knocking on the door to that year as we speak and as I record this. So the Achilles heel of every emerging group practice and some that are even beyond the emerging phase established group practices is debt funding. Um, I sometimes refer to my partner DeWalker as the doctor of debt um, because that is his background and the life that he led for uh, uh, almost two decades prior to launching the prior company and certainly prior to us launching Polaris. All of our clients are what we call doctor-founded and debt-funded. And what that means is that you guys and gals are usually working clinically. You are the founder of the business. You are the entrepreneur. You're the visionary. You wear all the hats. You're the person transitioning from clinician to CEO to build a business that's not dependent upon, not exclusively dependent upon your clinical skill set and your drive, uh, but ultimately building a self-managing company and you're using bank funds to do it. And over the last, what, six or eight months, you know, the Fed has been uh, increasing uh, interest rates. It kind of held steady over the last um, 30 to 45 days. I'd have to go back and check some of the press releases on that. But it's we've, we've for all intents and purposes, a lot of people feel like we've reached a high watermark um, for federal funds rate and a lot of the um, uh, uh, the way bank lending is probably at a, a high watermark. That is intended to tamp down uh, economic activity. 
across the board to bring inflation under control to um, take the the zeal out of some of the consumerism in the economy um, and that can be um, business uh, b2c business to consumer consumer driven consumption and it can equally be b2b business to business activity and for us and for our discussion we're obviously focused on uh, predominantly uh, business-to-business activity as it relates to growth strategy. You're all consumer patient-driven businesses, obviously, for the sake of ge- revenue generation, but many of you are looking to um, buy or build additional locations and expand your footprint. And like I said, build a business that's not dependent upon your clinical skill set. And as we uh, experience the repercussions of high interest rates, we are seeing in the M&A markets right now, and usually usually Q4 calendar year is very frothy as it relates to M&A activity, both in terms of overall dollar volume and unit transaction. And I've spoken to uh, a number of enterprise level DSOs uh, over the last maybe 45 to 60 days. I've spoken with a number of the uh, leading M&A attorneys in the space just to kind of gauge their pulse on what it all looks like at what should be a, a frothy time of the market. And all of them generally have the same um you know same kind of feedback which is that overall M&A activity is down and that's a function of higher rates and it's a function of what we call a shrinking credit box um meaning leverage ratios um uh go down and the cost of debt goes up and you've heard me talk about the aggregator versus operator mentality there've been a lot of uh enterprise level groups that are private equity backed that have simply been on a a spending spree in the last, you know, since we came out of COVID pretty much. And they have been acquiring dots on a map and um, they haven't been very disciplined about what they pay for those dots on a map. Um, Just relying on uh, an overall increasing EBITDA volume to yield a a higher EBITDA multiple upon the, the recap that was imminent in their future. And now when that recap is pushed off into the distance, or the context around the transaction structure that is the recap starts to change a bit. Now those aggregators don't look um, quite so smart. Uh, and they they look like um, they are facing some, um, some headwinds at a bare minimum and maybe some rocky shores, worst case scenario. And I think for a lot of the uh, doctor-founded, debt-funded clients that we work with on the formation and growth side of our business, they're sort of sitting there scratching their head like, okay, rates are rising. What do I do? Um, do I take my foot off the gas? What hap- you know, Should I consent- continue to look for practices to acquire or in some, d- some cases build? Or, or should I wait for rates to come back down? And I think if you're going to be waiting for rates to come back down, you're probably of the mindset that they will return to uh, a very, very low level that might have been pre-COVID levels or even coming out of COVID levels. And I think we're a long ways off from that. Okay, so it's a different thing to say that the Fed has stopped raising rates versus saying that the Fed is going to start cutting rates. Uh, And I think those are two completely separate conversations. And I think maybe we're in a a scenario where the the Fed has is going to stop raising rates for an indefinite period and see if we can get inflation back into the twos versus the high threes to four where it is now that we're a long way off from them cutting rates. So are you just gonna stop what you're doing? 
Are you going to um, no longer want to acquire practices? I don't know that that's the right answer. I think that there are going to be a lot of practices to acquire that are either underperforming practices or people get apprehensive about a changing economic environment and, and want to exit the business. And I think there are those that are senior dentists that have stayed on for a long time and maybe they're a couple of years past retirement um, and, and they're ready to exit now. And you need to be ready for that. You need to be prepared for that. These are going to be somewhat opportunistic acquisitions uh, and acquisitions that you need to lay the groundwork uh, and start the conversations ahead of time so that you are prepared to acquire those practices, hopefully without a competitive sales process. That would be ideal for you. Um, you would love to acquire somebody's legacy business to maintain their legacy and give them a a safe harbor or home to work for maybe another year or something like that until they do transition and take good care of their staff and their patients. Um, and ideally, you'd like to be able to, to start that conversation without a broker being involved. And I would encourage you to do that. So if you are going to do that, one of the first things you've got to get clear on is the amount of funding you're able to access, debt funding from a bank. And any you've heard us say, numerous times that if you go to your relationship manager at the bank and you say, you know, hey, what's it looking like for me to potentially borrow funds from you um, to acquire practices? And if they give you a verbal to say, yeah, doc, we got more, uh, we got more cash in the bank than you could ever borrow. You're good. That's a verbal commitment that's worth what it is um, in, in, you know, in isolation which is to say nothing. It's not a written commitment. There's no specificity around it. And there's there's really no analysis from the bank to corroborate uh, the amount that they'd be willing to commit to you. That is what everybody in your shoes does. And that is why it's the Achilles heel of every growing group practice. The relationship manager doesn't make the lending commitment. The credit officer does. So the first thing is you're talking to the wrong person. The second thing is if the bank for some reason will not fund this next acquisition for you, it doesn't matter what your growth strategy is. You've got no ability to execute it. Everyone seems to find the practice they want to buy, and then they go to a bank to try to fund it. That is, um, I'm going to try to maintain the non-explicit the non rating in the uh, podcast world here. That's backwards. <laughs> um, or you can insert the other word that you know I'm thinking about. Um, you want to have the lending commitment in hand and in writing before you start uh, shooting at targets to acquire. And many of us uh, are reluctant to do that because we're scared of what uh, the lending environment looks like uh, from a process standpoint and what the impact of current rates uh, could potentially be. So let me give you some context around this. And I, you can do this on your own if you want. There's a site that we use sometimes to illustrate points and it's called calculator.net. And they've got all kinds of different um, financial calculators, and there's a loan calculator on there. You know, probably the ADA average uh, general dentistry practice generates around seven hundred fifty thousand to eight hundred thousand in in total collections. Um, rough number. So if you pay, if you acquired an ADA average practice, and if you for some reason 
paid 100% of collections for that $800,000 practice. I think that would probably be pretty high, but this is showing a conservative example. If you borrowed $800,000 to buy that practice and you were borrowing at a 4% rate, that's about 8,100 bucks a month on a debt payment. And if you borrow it at 8%, it's about $9,700 a month. So 8, 4% to 8% is the difference in 8,100 to 9,700, about $1,600 a month, in other words. That's 19 grand a year. Yeah, that is a lot more in terms of the overall debt service. And certainly if you carry it out to the term of the loan, it is. But why is that not a lot of money if we're looking at these businesses to acquire in terms of improvement. Well, again, if you were operating, if you were uh, acquiring practices with an aggregator mentality, then I would tell you the cost of debt funds means everything because you're not getting any operational improvement out of the practices. You're probably paying a high rate uh, for the debt. You're probably paying a high multiple for the practice itself, be it percentage of collections or multiple of EBITDA, and you're relying on your ability to acquire more debts at a rapid, uh, more dots on a map at a rapid rate to offset the cost of the debt funds, which is a really risky way to live. And I would never encourage any of you to, uh, to, to try to build a business with an aggregator mentality. Most of you are not, you're operators. And what that means is you get your hands dirty. When you buy a practice, you're looking for ways to improve that practice through revenue generation or cost containment or ideally a blend of both. So if you are an operator and you acquire that $800,000 collection ADA average general dentistry practice, and you pay 100% of collections for it, you borrow all 800 grand from the bank, what are you going to do with it? Well, you're going to look for ways to grow revenue. Maybe that's additional services that the, that the seller was referring out. Maybe it's a, an increase in the marketing budget to drive new patients. You drop a, an associate in there and maybe you're open another couple of hours a day or maybe even additional day a week, whatever it may be. But you're looking for ways to generate more revenue out of that core business. Could you grow the practice 5% with your skill set, your abilities, your marketing, you know, I don't believe that buying a practice or a business at all and generating a, an additional 5% on the revenue lift within the first year is is any Herculean feat. It, it, quite the contrary. If you can't do that, my question to you would be, why are you buying the business to begin with? So I think 5% on a revenue generation piece is quite reasonable. If the AD, if the AD average is north of 60% on an overhead rate. The same thing could be said, are there any costs you think you could take out of the business? Not 5% out of one line item, like you go in and fire somebody, that isn't going to be good for business. But could you take 1% out of supplies? Could you take 1% out of lab or 1% out of professional services or maybe 1% out of marketing or a half a point out of employee benefit costs or 
CE or something. There are a ton of expenses in a business and you don't have to get cost containment out of one major category. You can spread it across all of them. So again, if you're going to acquire the business and you feel like you cannot generate any expense reduction across the board, uh, my question to you once again would be, why are you buying the business? So it's reasonable to conclude that if we can get a simple 5% revenue lift, and maybe 5% on the overhead reduction, now we're starting to expand margin quite quickly and quite dramatically. And the additional cost of that debt funds really uh, is negligible at that point. And the reason I say it's negligible is for a couple of reasons. One, you've basically covered the cost of the debt funds in profitability expansion in the first year beyond that i mean you you've you've covered the entire cost of the debt funds almost in in expansion in the first year but you certainly covered the cost of the increase in debt funds from a a, a percentage a, a a loan percentage rate an interest rate so you should have confidence that the cost the rising cost of the debt funds is still reasonable in your ability to to to, to produce profitability expansion free cash flow expansion and that should give you the confidence that the the rate on the debt is really a cost of doing business, but it doesn't impact your overall confidence in your growth strategy. That's the key point. People think too much about interest rate and they don't think enough about the practice they're about to acquire in terms of what they're going to do with it. And, and if we can get around the corner on that, then there's a compelling reason to find the right lender that is going to fund your growth strategy because i believe in 2024 you're going to have a lot of at bats in terms of practices to acquire it also goes without saying that those of us who are building group practices we may be focused in the short term on cash flow which is natural but in the back of our mind we're always thinking about the value of the business we're creating. You hear us talk about equity on balance sheet, how to, how to build a more valuable company. These are big picture principles that when, when you use debt funds correctly, the amount of equity you're able to generate above and beyond the cost of that debt is far greater. If you can generate free cash flow, you should feel com- feel confident about acquiring the practices and offsetting the cost of the debt on a month-to-month basis. And if you understand that debt funds are still the right vehicle to achieve your overall strategy, even if you don't want to sell the business anytime soon, you know that the value of the company that you're building is increasing at a faster rate than the incremental cost of the debt. And put succinctly, you know, you think about the opportunity to to grow revenue, to you know reduce costs, expand EBITDA, and as you're able to do that, you're able. You think about the the valuation of the company that you have at a at a, an EBITDA multiple standpoint. Is it six times EBITDA? Is it seven times EBITDA? You know, is it maybe eight to ten for some of you that have bigger businesses? It could very well be. And if that's the case, we start looking at you know the the opportunity to to generate a another 
40 to 60 grand in EBITDA uh, in the first year. And when you think about that seemingly nominal amount at a 6x multiple, which would be the bottom end of group practices, that's a quarter of a million dollars equity on balance sheet. All of a sudden, the numbers start to get really, really compelling if you're a savvy operator. They're more challenging if you're simply an aggregator. So debt funds are the Achilles heel of every group practice because all of us tend to chase practices to acquire, and then we try to figure out the way to fund them and which bank it's going to be that does just that. When you have multiple banks funding multiple locations, you are in a lot of jeopardy around subordinated debt covenant structures and your your primary in your senior loan um, and that is something that will grind your growth strategy to a halt because it will probably get you into a lawsuit so we don't want to have a multi-location group practice built off of multiple loan structures with different banks we want to do it with one lender that agrees to fund the business and commits an amount forward looking to allow us to execute our growth strategy. That's true business to business lending. It's the right vehicle and it's the right approach. It's still the right approach, even in a rising rate environment. And if we are true operators and can create revenue generation and cost containment, then the incremental increase in the cost of the debt should be simply a function of doing business, but it should in no way stop the growth strategy that we have planned for the coming year or years. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to acquire practices. And I think some of that's going to be driven by fear of people exiting the profession. I also think it's going to be driven by some of the enterprise level DSOs with whom you probably compete very frequently. I think a lot of their um, acquisition activity is going to be um, suppressed at some level. So it could be that you have more people looking to sell their practice in your area, and it could also be that you have fewer competitors for those practices. This is the time to get clear with your lender, get it in writing, what you want to do in 2024, how much they're willing to commit, find the right lender to work with. And if you think that they're not, that your current lender is not the right solution or they won't give you some um, uh, amount of a credit facility forward looking, then probably give us a call and talk to us about what we might be able to do for your business to secure that. You need your hunting license. You need your dry powder. This can be a very opportunistic time in a, a, for you building group practices at a, a point in time where the overall economic outlook um, may not be as rosy as it once was. This is the time, though, that there are a lot of uh, businesses, even at an enterprise level, that create massive growth and competitive advantage when everybody else is seemingly ready to stall. And I hope that gives you something to think about as we turn into 2024, because, again, debt funds, even in a rising rate environment, are the right vehicle for you to use. It's really a matter of finding the appropriate lender that takes the gloves off and lets you execute your strategy. And I'm confident you can do that because many of you 
are operators and not aggregators who listen to this podcast. Stick around. I'll be back with a few additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Well, thanks, everybody, once again, for joining me on the uh, Group Practice Accelerator podcast today. I always uh, love recording these episodes for y'all, even when I have to do them solo, um, because I I feel like I get a lot of nice compliments and a lot of feedback from so many of you that find a lot of value in it. Um, And many of you have expressed that over the last several weeks, maybe it's just because of the holiday season, or maybe it's because we shared some things that struck a chord, or maybe it's a combination of all of the above. So thank you kindly um, for all the kind words on on our behalf and the effort we put forth with, with all of our content, not just a podcast, but presentations and white papers. And there's uh, we're, we're uh, adjusting some of our marketing strategy as we turn into 2024. Uh, and I think you'll see um, more stuff from us in a little bit different ways too. One of the things things we are um, rolling out. And depending on when this podcast drops, which probably will be the first week in December, for those of you who subscribe to our newsletter that comes out toward the end of every month, you will have probably seen um, a blurb or something in there about the Catalyst Project. You've Some of you have inquired about this. I ran a pilot program about three months ago, maybe four months ago. Uh, And the Catalyst Project is a a six-week multi-practice accelerator course that I put together. It was a lot of fun because it was a a new spin on content. Uh, It wasn't um, anything that anybody had really seen before. And it's highly tactical in nature. So there are a lot of you in the audience that have you know, one to two practices probably, and you you think you want to build a group practice. You're not sure if you want to or not. And if you decide to, you're not really sure how quickly you want to build it. And some of the stuff we talk about is big picture concepts for bigger picture businesses. And sometimes you're just thinking like, okay, what do I, what do I do first? What do I do next? How, What's the the right tactical step to take um, if I think I want to go from one to two locations or two to three? You know, what are the things that save me stepping on landmines? This is a six-week course that's really built all around that. It's web-based. So from the comfort of your own home, it's a Tuesday-Friday session over uh, over six weeks. The Tuesday sessions are the, the teaching component. I share an educational piece and a lot of tactical knowledge around a specific piece of subject matter. And each Tuesday night session builds upon the previous week uh, to a degree, I'll say. I mean, not necessarily in some instances, but a lot of them do build upon one another as it relates to, to subject matter mindset, the tool that I share, the educational piece and the context around all of it. Those Tuesday sessions are taught at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, and then the Friday sessions are 1 p.m. Eastern. uh, And the Friday sessions are uh, a little bit of a recap. It's a collaborative discussion, if you will, around what we went over on Tuesday night. What do you think about it? How are you going to apply it? Do you have questions about it? And then it's also uh, what I call the Friday free-for-all. It could you can bring questions, you can bring concerns, you can bring scenarios, what if type stuff, or things that are really burning at the 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 fore of your mind. 
And the Friday free for all is, is open for them. Uh, we can tear it apart. We can dig into it no matter really what it is. Uh, the Tuesday sessions probably run about an hour, maybe a little more, maybe a little bit less, depending on what we're covering. So call it 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern. And the Friday sessions are usually an hour to an hour and a half, 60 to 90 minutes in length, depending upon um, the, the questions and the subject matter that, that people want to discuss. Um, I lead all of it personally. Uh, what you'll find is that um, there's wisdom in the group and some people are very open about sharing and collaborating. And that's frankly, really, really cool to see. Uh, so this has been fun. Um, the pilot program was very well received from the, the students who were in it. Got a lot of nice compliments on it and it gave me the the desire to do it again and so for those that get our newsletter you might have seen a blurb and a link about registration probably for all of you who are in the uh, podcast audience here uh the registration link will be live when you're hearing this so i'll try to drop it in the show notes as well we're going to limit the course itself to 15 participants um and the reason for that is i want to keep it a little bit smaller um, and more interactive if I can and, and try to try to manage it to the best of my ability. If we get overwhelming response on this thing, I might have to add a, an additional course of, or additional class of, of 15. I'll kind of figure that out as we go along. But um, this was, a like I say, a lot of fun. Um, and the subject matter was immediately applicable for those who are um, uh, wanting to take the next steps in the early phases of, uh, of their journey. So I hope you'll consider joining us. All of the sessions are recorded, video recorded, and they're stored in a vault. So inevitably you have something come up on the personal side of, of things um, or you, you miss a session or something like that. Don't worry, you'll be able to go back and watch it on, on your own. Uh, and registration, like I say, will be open. The first uh, class will start uh, in on February, Friday, February the 2nd. So we're opening registration now to build the, the registrants for the course. The course itself will start um, uh, on uh, at the beginning part of February, but I think it'll sell out. We want to open it up uh, ahead of time to see how many people were interested in it over the course of the next eight weeks or so, and the holidays are always bumpy anyway. Um, so if there's enough demand, I'll create a second session for it. Um, but I, I certainly would expect there'd be uh, 15, 15 people who want to be in the course with me. So I'm looking forward to being with you on it. Um, like I say, it was fun for me. It was really rewarding for the people who were who are in it. Um, and I think uh, there was some new teaching stuff that I was able to share that we'd never really shared before that was readily applicable and immediately applicable uh, for those who who joined us in the first session. So I hope you'll consider joining us. Like I say, the registration link will be uh, in the show notes. You can click on it, learn a little bit more about it uh, and register yourself for that February course. And I look forward to working with you in the Catalyst Project. It's a six-week multi-practice accelerator full of tactical tools that'll give you a ton of knowledge to build a business uh, that you desire to build and the pace uh, in which you want to build it. And yours truly gets to uh, uh, host all of it. So uh, all the best. Thanks so much for being uh, in the audience and, and for giving us the accolades that you do. If you got questions about Catalyst or you got questions about anything else related to group practice, I hope you'll uh, send me an email at Perrin 
at polarishealthcarepartners.com. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.